We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Well, how do you do? Doing all right today. How are you? Not too shabby. It's Saturday. It's sunny. It's Saturday. It's sunny. It's chilly. Mm-hmm. It's a good day for a story time. Yeah, and this one's a doozy. Oh, no. In a good way. Okay. Is it gory? Uh, very briefly. Okay. Okay. So today, this is kind of our funny one for the month. I'm going to be telling you the amazing tale of the Bigfoot Choctaw War of 1855. People declared war on Bigfoot? Yes and no. We'll get into it. Ooh. Okay. Where is this located? Oklahoma and Arkansas. Wow. Okay. This is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I had a lot of fun researching it. (laughs) Oh, no. This is every Discovery Plus show. Like, Alaskan Monster Hunt. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Appalachian Monster Killers. Wild West Wendigo. Yeah. Do you hear it? We gave it a a pig and the pig squealed, so it's going to be Bigfoot. (laughs) It's just like six hungry coyotes instead. The pig don't (laughs) lie. Pig don't lie. It only makes that sound when there's a Bigfoot afoot. <laughs> you like that joke? I wrote it. Bigfoot squeal. <laughs> Wee! All right. It's just the right active. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 Texas Cryptid Hunter blog post by Mike. A 2019 Ripley's article by Chris Levin. 2018 Mysterious Universe article by Brent Swanser. Can I just pause and say that I have quoted and used Brent Swanser's work in a lot of our episodes? Really? Thank you for doing God's work, Brent Swanser. Aw, way to go, Brent Swanser. If you ever listen to this... I love that the first person, they're like, people will know me. You can just call me Mike. I'm just Mike. <laughs> I'm like I'm like the share of cryptids. <laughs> I'm the, sh- <laughs> I'm the share of cryptid hunters in Texas. Like, oh, yeah. That Mike in particular. Got it. Yep. Got it. Cool. <laughs> Texas cryptid hunter Mike? Yeah, I know you. <laughs> A 2016 The Crypto Blast blog post. That was a mouthful. 2015 Edmund Life and Leisure article by David Ferris. 2014 Northern Kentucky Bigfoot Research Group blog post by Thomas Shea. 2013 Sasquatch History blog post. And Britannica.com. I just really love the internet and the fact that a Sasquatch History website exists. Oh man, you should have seen some of these. Some of them were real gems. I bet it's extensive, too, isn't it? Uh, yes. And some of these blogs are things of beauty. And I mean that in a sarcastic way. I can imagine. Are they like the... What was that? What were... Like, before the days of WordPress. Blogspot? Not Blogspot. It was like something fire. Do you remember those websites? Yep. Uh, Mindfire? No. 
I know what you're talking about, and I can yeah, think of it, it. It's like if if MySpace and blogs had a baby, mm-hmm. and it was it was generally like a secret page. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it was a secret page where you would put all of like the dumbest ideas and like hot takes you ever had. Yep. Like I hate my mom, <laughs> and then it's like those sixty-four bit fairy girls mm-hmm. with the low-rise pants. <laughs> yep. And then there's like a MIDI of like Lincoln Park playing in the background. Right, but it's like a horrible torrented version mm-hmm. that's like on a keytar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. All right, Arkansas, let's go. Before we get into this crazy story, I feel like I need to set the stage. Okay. Even though one of today's subjects is common knowledge to the both of us, I don't want to assume that everyone knows what Bigfoot is. I feel like I should, but I don't want to. Just in case you've been living under a rock forever. Well, and honestly, it's kind of nice every now and then to get the official definition, you know? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like playing telephone. What you perceive as Bigfoot might not be the Bigfoot you're thinking of. Yep. So here is Britannica's definition of Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot. Okay. Sasquatch, which is Salish, which in Salish means wild men, are large, hairy, human-like creatures that are said to live in the northwestern United States and western Canada. They are the North American equivalent of the Himalayan abominable snowman or yeti. Yep. And technically, because of the area in which this story takes place, it would it should probably be considered and called something else like along the lines of like a skunk ape. Or something like that. Like it's not, okay. or maybe Bigfoot is maybe Bigfoot is the term, but like it's a long ways away from home. Yeah, it's not in the Northwest. So yeah. Now, if you know anything about cryptozoology or cryptos in general, you know that Bigfoot is up there alongside the Loch Ness monster and Mothman. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know what cryptozoology is, because not everybody does, it's the zoological study of cryptids or creatures that are believed to exist but have not been proven or properly documented enough to be embraced by the the scientific community at large. Which is sad. They're the the outcasts, the social pariahs of the zoology world. Yeah. And now that you have an idea of what a Sasquatch slash Bigfoot is and a better understanding of cryptozoology, let's dig in. This bizarre incident was said to take place in the area that today makes up LaFleur County, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. So, like, kind of where Oklahoma and Arkansas kind of meet up. Okay. Back in June of 1855, this area was home to the Choctaw Peoples, who today are the third largest federally recognized tribe in the United States and still reside in much of this area, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. At this time, the Choctaw and local farmers were being visited by a menace that would come from the wilderness into their land to steal their vegetables and even some of their livestock. Yeah, that's not good. That's messing That's messing with money, man. Mm-hmm. The bandits would always come at night, but never venture into the Choctaw encampments when a watchman was on guard. Okay. 
So if somebody was actually stationed, nothing would happen. Correct. Okay. The thieves were also able to avoid the traps set up by the farmers. These occurrences could probably be forgiven as raids by hungry bandits had the trespassers not started to kidnap people, mostly women and children. I mean, that still could be considered a person trafficking humans. Yeah. Because that still happened during that time. Yeah. These atrocities had taken place all over the Arkansas border and worked their way well within the Choctaw Territory. Not good. This, understandably, angered the members of the tribe, who called together a search party of cavalry warriors known as Light Horsemen. The men in this party were large, even by today's standards, with each of the seven men reportedly standing at around seven feet or more in height and weighing around 300 pounds each. Dang. So they they had their own basketball team. Yeah. (laughs) Warriors. They had their own globetrotters of warriors. Nice. The seven light horsemen consisted of a warrior named Hamas Tubby and his six sons. The Tubby men were natural-born warriors, with their size and strength ensuring that they would be at the front of any assault. So they were pretty much the tanks. Nice. Their rank and status meant they were also responsible for keeping the peace in their territories. Which, to be fair, I would not want to run into one of these guys, considering no. the description of them. Mm-mm. And at this time, too, like being six feet tall is an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Like being six feet tall is equivalent to being like six four, six five mm-hmm. today. So that would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be a wonderful deterrent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and from what I read, the Choctaw people in general were fairly tall. Okay. But these men were like unusually tall, even by Choctaw standards. Yeah. Like a full foot taller than everybody else. The light horsemen, along with a group of 30 other large and fierce warriors, traveled via horseback under the direction of General Joshua Lafleur, who was part Choctaw, part French. Although of mixed blood, Lafleur was greatly respected amongst the members of the Choctaw Nation, and every man that had served with him in the cavalry was willing to follow him pretty much anywhere. That's nice. It's So that says something. That's not typical in most, like, even today. Mm-hmm. Like, biracial people are generally never t- well-respected like, yeah. in that way, which yeah. is stupid. Mm-hmm. This group's mission was to sniff out the bandits that had been causing so much mischief and put a stop to their thievery once and for all. Nice. The party departed from the tribal capital of Tuscaloma in the early hours of the morning, around 3 a.m., each armed with high-powered rifles and pistols. The men, assured of their easy victory and swift return, headed deep into what is now known as the McCurtain County Wilderness Area of Oklahoma. Okay. After riding for eight hours in the scorching heat, they stopped near the Clover River to rest themselves and their horses before continuing on their way around 4.30 that afternoon. Dang. So they left at 3 a.m., and they took their first rest at 4.30 p.m. They took their first Almost. rest after about eight hours, and then they didn't leave again until 4.30. So they rested okay. for a while. Okay, good. I was just going to say, their horses are pissed. <laughs> like, carrying 300 pounds. 
<laughs> I get a 10 minute break. Excuse you. Right. Like, I'm not leaving this crick. Sorry, dude. It was only after the group had been traveling for 14 hours that they reached the area where the bandits were said to be most active and LaFleur called for the party to halt. LaFleur used a spyglass to investigate, believing that he could spot their enemy moving around 500 yards ahead behind some pines. He could spot, he could spot their enemy 500 yards ahead. Apparently with this spyglass, yes, he could. And he didn't think that was strange if he could clearly see. Okay. That's a big bitch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Confident that they'd found the men they were looking for, LaFleur gave the order for the party to charge. The light horsemen and the rest of the Choctaw warriors howled and urged their horses forward through the trees, their weapons at the ready, before all of them stopped dead as they were assaulted by an unbearable stench. Okay. I mean, that's, that's insane. If, yeah. it's, if it's that bad that the horses are like, listen. <laughs> no. This smell of decay caused the horses to rear back and buck in panic, many knocking their riders off their mounts. Mm-hmm. The men yeah. who fell to the ground writhed in agony, coughing and hacking as they tried to fight off the oppressive odor. Wow. The light horsemen and LaFleur were able to keep control of their mounts and push through the metaphorical wall of stink towards their enemy. The group of eight men ended up in a forest clearing where the source of the smell was quickly revealed. In the center of the clearing was a large earthen mound, around which a number of corpses in varying states of decay were scattered. It's said that the stench drew a veritable fog of flies that quickly surrounded LaFleur and the tubby men. Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. It just sounds like something from um, The Exorcist. Like just... Yes, it's an actual nightmare. It's the first, it's the gateway to hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fog of flies. <laughs> Aside from the bodies and flies, the men didn't see any sign of bandits, although they did see something run off through the trees. No, what they saw was three enormous ape-like creatures that were covered in hair and so tall that they made the light horsemen look like children in comparison. No. Nope. The three creatures were said to have been glaring in the direction of the warriors, utterly unafraid of the threat the men may have posed to them as they beat their chests after being interrupted during their meal. So they were eating the rotting people still? Yeah. I'm really glad I didn't eat right before this. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Accounts of what happened next should be taken with a grain of salt, Kind of like this whole story, probably. But yeah. LaFleur supposedly charged the beast with his Patterson's Colt revolver and saber at the ready, screaming and howling as he went. One of the creatures stepped forward and with one hand smacked LaFleur's horse on the side of its head hard enough that the horse was thrown to the ground dead. No. Mm-hmm. Oh. He like bitch slapped it dead. Oh, it's awful. Probably like severed the spinal cord or something like that. LaFleur was able to get back on his feet after being knocked off his horse and began shooting the wild man multiple times in the chest with his pistol. Even though they were obviously hitting their mark, the wounds barely bled at all. After emptying his pistol, he ran at the wild man and attacked it with his saber. He was able to finally injure it, 
causing gaping wounds, which made the wild man roar in pain and anger. That's, that's exactly what you want. Let's make it mad. <laughs> in case it wasn't already mad, because I'm shooting it in the chest. Eesh. Because LaFleur was so focused on attacking the creature in front of him, he didn't see the second beast that approached him from behind. Before LaFleur was able to really see what was coming, the second beast had lunged forward and with both hands ripped LaFleur's head clean off his body. This sounds like a Quentin Tarantino movie. It does. Mm-hmm. I can already see, like, George Clooney playing the guy or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, like, a really fancy mustache. Yeah. The whole time this exchange had taken place... The rest of the men had just been frozen, watching it unfold in stunned bewilderment. Yeah. It wasn't until their general's headless body fell to the ground that they seemed to snap out of it enough to open fire with their 50 caliber Sharps buffalo rifles. So these are rifles that the ammunition they used would take down a bison, like with one shot. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Okay. Six rounds of bullets were fired straight at the monster's heads taking out the two creatures that had killed their captain. The third, which had been shot in the head by 18-year-old Robert, attempted to limp away and escape before Robert ran it down and cut off its head with his hunting knife. Damn. Robert, who stood at 6 feet 11 inches and weighed in at 370 pounds, used both hands to lift the severed head high as he screamed in victory. I wouldn't want to touch it, but I suppose the adrenaline. Yeah. I did it. Following the attack, the warriors waited, primed for another attack that didn't come. Yeah, but... Because remember, something had run into the woods, and so they're like, wait, are they going to come back? Once it became clear that they had defeated their quarry, the men looked around them at all of the dead that lay scattered in the clearing. Many of the remains were partially devoured. The men, now joined by the rest of their party then undertook the laborious task of burying the dead, among which they identified the bodies of 19 children. That's awful. After also burying their captain, the men burned the bodies of the beastmen on a bonfire. The work was hard, as they had to fight against not only the smell of the rotting corpses, but the horrible stench of the beast's urine and feces that littered the area as well. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, especially if you think about it. Like, I don't know if you've ever uh, been around somebody who's tried keto and, like, only eats protein and fat. I would assume that their their excrement would be just foul. Pretty rank. Yeah. Because who knows? I, I doubt they're drinking eight glasses of water a day. <laughs> yeah. Or eating any roughage. Yeah. Half the sources state that the men gave LaFleur a 21-gun salute following his burial, but I don't really Mm, buy that. No, they would have wanted to save their ammunition. Exactly. I can see them maybe modifying it or trying to do something in honor of him, but they would would have wanted to keep as much ammunition as possible for that one that got away. Well, he didn't get away. His head was hacked off. Well, didn't you, no, didn't you say what, something went, ran into the woods? Oh, yeah, the ones that they, they don't know how many ran in the woods. But yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, so I can see how they'd be like, no, we need to keep 
as many bullets as possible. So I can see them maybe doing something else, but... You'd think they'd do some sort of, like, traditional ceremony. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was First Nation, too. Yeah. I'm sure this was, like, a white person's account of what happened, so... (sighs) Anyway. And they're like, yeah, they did a thing, and it was awesome. Yep. The end. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but it looked kind of (laughs) cool. Shoot, shoot, gun, gun. Perfect. After this, the men returned to Tuscaloma, and for years following this bizarre and horrifying event, the tubby men were plagued with nightmares of what they saw that day, which, fair. Yeah, I wouldn't blame them. Because you can't guarantee that it's never coming back. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? So you'd live in constant fear that something something is coming to get you and your family as revenge. Mm Mm-hmm. Awful. And that's it. That's the story. But I'm not done. For the information that can be found about this online, which I will admit there wasn't much, there really isn't a lot to verify this event actually took place. Surprise. Right. That doesn't mean that some of the information is historically inaccurate. Okay. LaFleur, for example, was a real person who died in 1855. Okay. Additionally, the men of the Tubby clan were also real. Yeah, I bet I bet there would be record of, of that. Yeah. Just given their stature alone. Yeah. It would have been record-breaking. Mm-hmm. So is there any truth to this story? Jim King, a Bigfoot researcher, believes that there is, but not how the tale is told. King believes that the event took place farther west in the Kiowa Territory, where he heard the tale directly from a Kiowa elder. Okay. According to the elder, similar to how women were expected to act in the Bible, the Kiowa women would stay in a special teepee on the edge of their camp when they were having their period. Oh, no. While there, they would be tended to by older women until their menstrual cycle finished. King was told by the elder that in their culture, women were considered unclean during their cycles, and the warriors were forbidden from touching or even looking at them. Okay. The elder went on to explain that a long time ago, the tribe had experienced issues with large, ape-like creatures who were attracted to the smell of the tent where the menstruating women were housed. And since the tent was on the edge of the encampment, it was easy to get. It became an easy target for these creatures. Yep. That makes sense. He recalled that on several occasions, there were reports of them entering the tent and running off with the women. And it's believed it was done this way because for the, for the purpose of reproducing. It wasn't long before the Kiowa leaders agreed that the kidnapping of these women was understandably unacceptable. <laughs> Took them a minute, though. <laughs> they had to think about it for a second. And a band of warriors was called together to search down the ape-like creatures. It said that they were able to track an ape to its lair and kill it, but it was only one creature, not a family of them. Okay. Is this the one that got away? I don't know. And, and then, too, it's like it also didn't say where the women went or if yeah. they were rescued. I really doubt they were rescued. Yeah. Now, if we go back to the story of the Tubby Men... It said that Thomas Hubby, the father, his father, Hanali Tubby, was even taller than his son, standing at eight feet, two inches tall, and weighing 540 pounds. That poor man. 
That's so much weight to lug around, even if it's like well positioned. Proportioned, yeah. That's that's a lot of weight. It's noted that Hamas and his sons stood about a foot shorter than that, which would put them at around the seven foot give or take mark, mm-hmm. which is still unusually large for a man. They were noted as also being the strong, fierce warrior group known as the Light Horsemen, which many of their friends and relations in the Choctaw Nation thought was hilarious, given the men's size compared to their steeds. You know, Light Horsemen. (laughs) Right. In the case of Joshua LaFleur, he was born in the Choctaw Nation in 1797 and died in Indian Territory in 1855. So we know for sure he was a real person. That was born... That lived and died. Yep. According to the telling on the Sasquatch history blog, the bandits had been taking large quantities of corn, squash, and beans in addition to very young children. So they were omnivores, I guess. Mm -hmm. These thefts were taking place across the Arkansas border as well as in Indian Territory. If we continue to look at the facts, considering how much the story has been passed around, it's easy to see how different elements were changed. Mm-hmm. In Oklahoma, the quote-unquote giants from the story weren't hairy ape men. They were white men. In the original legend from Oklahoma, the giants were in fact descendants of Vikings. And the presence of Vikings in the area can be traced back all the way to the 1100s. Funny. And the guns that were mentioned in this legend don't make much sense either. Okay. Settlers, especially ones in the 1850s, would have used muzzle loaders. So where you like mm-hmm. pump it in. The buffalo rifles mentioned in the story wouldn't be invented until the 1870s. So 20 some okay. years later. Yeah. As for the 50 caliber pistols, those were army issued. And the bullets weren't easy to make if you couldn't find the ingredients you needed. And any weapons trading that was taking place with the indigenous peoples of the area would have been older, out-of-date guns, not the newest and fanciest guns that the government could make. Right, with the rarest ammunition possible. Mm -hmm. Stories of Bigfoot have played a huge role in the history of Oklahoma, which I did not know. No. An article called McCurtain County Has a Man Beast that was published by Len Green in the McCurtain Sunday Gazette on July 9th, 1978, tells of how one Choctaw man who was a neighbor of Len's told him the origin of the man beast legend that had been passed down in his family for generations. So this is kind of interesting. Okay. According to him, in the early 1830s, a great witch... Or a Hatukchaya okay. had moved into the area with a huge hairy monster that he claimed was from the swamps of Mississippi. So like a skunk ape. Yeah. The witch man claimed that he was able to use his powers to enslave the man beast, who was referred to by the Choctaw as Hotuk Lusa Chito, or Big Black Man. Okay. The witch man couldn't order this beast to kill but he could let it run loose to harass people he didn't like. It's his bully. Which is so petty. Yeah, it really is. Oh my gosh. Knock knock their hut down. Go take their corn. They like that one kid. Take that one. Yeah, he seems nice. It's said that it would lurk around the homes of people and make a nuisance of itself, 
But if the creature sensed your fear, it would also become afraid and flee. So it was like, you're scared. I'm scared. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Bye. (laughs) The witch man terrorized the people of this community for 30 years. So this would be around the 1860s now before another family decided they'd had enough of him and his man beast. One night on a new moon, so it's real dark, the man and his son snuck into the witch man's home, tied him to his bed, and then set his house on fire. That's horrible. Yeah. He must have been really, really awful for them to give him that kind of death. No shit. Wow. Once the witch man was dead... The creature was free to run wild, and according to the Choctaw, if you encountered the beast and showed no fear, you would be able to become its new master. Oh, funny. Like, hey, friend. The first reported sighting of a Bigfoot by a white settler to the area was noted in the diary of Bertrand Tonica on May 14th, 1849. So this still would have been six years before the event happened. Okay. Bertrand lived in the town of Eagle, which has since been renamed to Eagletown. In his diary, he recounts a tale involving a hunter and trapper known to the locals as One-Eyed Bascom, which is an awesome name. That is a good name. Bertrand noted that on that particular day, Bascom had entered the general store slash post office, where he proceeded to tell a story about a strange critter he'd seen the day before in the swamps southwest of town. Okay. He went on to describe the creature as having long arms, a stooped posture, and grayish-black hair. He shared how the creature had run from a hunter in a, quote, strangely loping gait, end quote. Kind of like an ape. Yeah. In the article published in the McCurtain Gazette, Len included another Bigfoot encounter that resulted in a man's death, although not at the hands of the creature itself. Okay. In the story that was shared by a man who had heard it from his grandmother prior to her death, his grandfather had returned home one day quite shaken. He claimed to have seen a, quote, big hairy man, end quote, while he was traveling by horseback along the trail between Redland and Goodwater. He went on to tell his wife that, quote, the fellow wasn't wearing any clothes, was hairy all over, and was the biggest man he had ever seen, end quote. Okay. Three weeks after this odd encounter, the man's horse returned home without its rider. That's not good. When his family headed out to look for him, they found his body along a river trail not far from where he had reported seeing the big hairy man. Hmm. It looked as if he had been thrown from his horse and died from a broken neck. If he had indeed encountered the creature again, it's entirely possible that it had spooked his horse, causing it to toss him from its back. The man's grandmother recalled that she just felt like that was how the events had played out, not that he had been attacked or anything. Okay. According to the Choctaws, the McCurtain man-beast, as he has now been dubbed, tends to stay in an area that they refer to as Baklawa, or Many Waters, located between the Little River, Yasho River, and Mountain Folk River. This area of swampland has several small natural lakes and heavy undergrowth. So basically a perfect place for a Bigfoot to hide in plain sight. Yep. I would be remiss if I didn't state that in many of the articles I sourced, they pulled their information from a book by Jeremy Kelly titled, quote, 
True Bigfoot Horror, The Apex Predator, Monster in the Woods, Cryptozoology, Terrifying Violent and True Encounters of Sasquatch Hunting People, end quote. That's a long name. That is the title of the book. <laughs> it's, you know what, it sounds like um, an Amazon item. Because you can buy it on Amazon. Yeah, because it's like flashy, pretty, wow, glitter, earring ring, fast, blue, sparkle, great. It's like he was just like, what are some keywords that I can use to get my book found on Amazon? And he used those keywords as the title of his book. So this book, which has been harshly criticized on Amazon for being a load of sensationalist BS, was cited multiple times during my research. So you can kind of decide what you want to believe. Okay. And that is the story of the Bigfoot Choctaw War of 1855. Funny. Well, it sounds like there's been some sort of sighting, mm-hmm. you know, but the, the original story does seem like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Unless, oh, yeah. Probably less of a real thing that happened. 911, what's the nature of your emergency? Your world can change in the blink of an eye. He walked into the bedroom and you know that she had been murdered. So he's running up and down, screaming, Oh my God, someone called 911. There are two men killing a girl. I know my son and he would not go that long without saying anything to anyone. Safety can be an illusion and reality a nightmare. So how do you feel a person, a grown person? Unspeakable crimes can penetrate any small town, big family, pretty face, or innocent child. And in the wake of a loved one's murder or disappearance, there is nothing more cruel or desperate as silence. Why won't people talk about it? That's another thing. People don't want to talk about it around here. For the families of the missing and murdered, they gambled with their sanity as they lose hope in closure and settle for justice. That's where the cold case playing cards come in. In each episode of the Dealing Justice podcast, your hosts Jennifer Dubasek and Lori Jennings will spotlight one card from the cold case playing card deck. Hear the victim's story from the friends and family who knew them best. Her mom will never stop hating until she finds out what happens to her daughter. Learn about the crime and help close the case. Welcome to season two. We're not just playing cards, we're dealing justice. And this week's podcast plug is Dealing Justice. In each episode of the Dealing Justice podcast, Jennifer and Lori spotlight one card from the Cold Case Playing Cards set. Have you heard of those? Yes, I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hear the victim's story, learn about the crime, and help close the case now on season two. And we will include a link to their podcast in the show notes. Cool. And our friend John from the Dumbfound Dead and Reddit on Wiki podcast wants to know, what discontinued item from any era would you like to bring back into production? Starter jackets. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I didn't even even think. I I didn't even pause. I want want a starter jacket again. Just like... (laughs) right there (laughs) yeah they're indestructible they're they're indestructible they last forever and it didn't really matter 
like what it looked like, you know, like mm-hmm. you just looked like a mushroom wearing it and everybody thought it was the coolest thing ever. It had Starting like jackets. the hoodie pocket for your arms, for yes. your hands, but then it also had a convenient like Velcro pouch pocket on yes. the front. Or was yes. it like a Velcro flap and then a zipper? I can't remember, but uh, I, I think it varied. It depended on like when it was made and how much you were paying for it. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really liked them. Like they they were great, especially in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Like because you weren't too hot, but you were warm enough. Yep. And that's a rare find. And they have those like zippers on the bottom side, so if you needed to like mm-hmm. air it out a little bit. Well, and especially if you had like multiple multiple layers. Mm-hmm. Hey, Willie, 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 don't eat an antler right now, please. Well, we had. Toronto Raptors once. Did you hear that, Josh? Josh is my Toronto friend. Nice. Yeah, we did. And Dad looked... He searched far and wide for mine because I was small. So he needed a child's version for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was before the days of Amazon. In the early days of the internet, when you used Netscape Explorer. Yep. And Ask Jeeves. Do any of our listeners know what Netscape Navigator is? Man, that's so funny. Or what Ask Jeeves was? Okay, so what's yours? See, now mine just sounds really dumb in comparison to yours. I really want to bring back morning jewelry. What's morning jewelry? We kind of talked about it, like the lover's eye things. Like morning jewelry is like if you had like a lock of someone's hair and it was like elaborately braided and kept in like a ring or a locket. I mean, that that still kind of exists, like, especially with people, people right now making, using ashes to make jewelry and stuff. I'm just, I'm against that type of thing, just because I know that if I were to have, like, a ring of mom or dad, right? Mm -hmm. And I lost that ring, or if it was stolen. Well, you'd never wear it. You'd put it in, like, a lockbox or something. Yeah, but, like, it does... But then what's the point of having it if, like, you don't showcase it? Because then if it's lost or if it's stolen, you've essentially, you're going to feel like you've lost that person all over again. Yeah. What else would I want to bring back? Pogs. I thought about saying that and then I was like, no, I would have no use for it. You could play with your kids, though. I I think your girls would like playing Pogs. Ugh. I don't want to bring back Pogs. I don't know. You know what type of food I'd like to bring back? What? My diabetiversary reminded me of this. But do you remember that those like veggie chips with like the pig on them? Oh, yeah. The like pig? the, it was something earth. Blue earth or something? Yeah. Those had Alestra in them. There's a reason they don't make them anymore because they had Alestra. I know. And that but I really... gave you like excessive diarrhea. It basically just like greased your insides. <laughs> I know, but they were so delicious. It's they just were like really the, good. The, the low-fat chips of the 90s, you know? They were the veggie straws before there were veggie straws. Yep. I'm not they saying delicious. I'm not saying veggie straws have Alestra in them. You're not allowed to use Alestra anymore. It was a health food fad that did not last very long. <gasps> you know what I miss? What? Drixoral. No one's going to know what that is. 
It's a type of allergy, like over-the-counter allergy medication that had to stop being produced because it had a lot of Sudafed in it. Mm. And it was like a meth maker's dream. Thanks, meth heads. You ruin everything. Like I remember being really upset because I have really hardcore allergies, as do a lot of people in our family. Mm -hmm. And that used to be the only thing that would work and not put me to sleep. Like... It was what Benadryl always wanted to be. I thought of something. I want to bring back Popples, but the original ones, not like, you know, they tried to bring them back in like the early 2000s and they looked weird. They weren't the same. Mm -hmm. I want to bring back the original ones. Nice. So there you go. I didn't go way back for that one. I went back to my childhood for that one. Nice. All right. What's something good you'd like to share? Something good. This week was my diabetes anniversary. Hmm. So for people who don't know, a lot of people don't know. Some type 1 diabetics don't know. <laughs> but um, I was I celebrate the day I was diagnosed with diabetes because for whatever reason, it's a day that you always remember mm-hmm. because it's so kind of traumatic that when it happens mm-hmm. that if you don't do something fun, it's the worst day. Like, it is the worst day of your year, essentially, because you're kind of mourning the loss of your old life, Mm -hmm. you know. But it's been 13 years, so I had my 13th diabetes anniversary. It's a teenager now. I know. Apparently, the most intense diabetes anniversary is the one where you have now lived longer with diabetes than you have, than you haven't. Mm -hmm. So for me, that'll be... 19? 20. 20 because I was 19 when I was diagnosed so my 20th anniversary will be <laughs> my golden diabetes anniversary <laughs> my golden diabetes anniversary we'll have to do something fun for that yeah but essentially I tried to do something really fun to distract me and then when I was younger and in my early 20s the whole joke was you you tell the line between being rehospitalized again by with the amount of carbs and alcohol you drink mm-hmm. on on that day and now i choose something indulgent and carby that i typically wouldn't want to eat mm-hmm. and one drink and i ha- i like enjoy it so mm-hmm. we had tacos and i had a cupcake and celebrated and it was it was nice it was it was just kind of a one of those things where it was like, dang, thirteen years, that's crazy. So mm-hmm. yeah. So that's mine. What's yours? What's your good thing? So it came a little late. It came like the day after Valentine's Day. But Thomas got me I gotta show you one sec. This won't mean anything for people that are listening. Oh no. Is that what I think it is? It's one of the animated Grogu's. Stop it. And it's got four different things you can give it. It like the macaroon and the egg. It's using the force to hold the little knob. And you can You can pet him. Yep. Cute. So he got me that for Valentine's Day. And uh my youngest came home and she looked at it and she was like, 
she's like, oh does he close his eyes? And I was like, sometimes. And she's like, that's so creepy. I want one. <laughs> <laughs> You're so cute. So yeah, that's my something good. I'm sure all those nice. like robotic noises are going to sound so great. <laughs> They're going to be awful. I can already hear people going, stop. <laughs> <laughs> There's no off switch. He has to turn himself off naturally. Oh, do you think he's going to be the new Furby where the FBI will listen to your home? Probably. Yeah. I'll have to put him in a box and bury him in the backyard. Sorry, my Grogu. Favorite, some of my favorite TikToks are the ones where it's like when your Furby starts talking in your closet with no batteries for the past like three months. Anytime a Furby shows up on my feet, I'm like, no. Yep. Try to get rid and of it right away. That. No, thanks. No. Yep. Burn it. Burn it down. Shall we? We shall. I'll just let him sit here while I'm reading the last part. <laughs> Give him a macaroon. Give him a macaroon? Yeah. Me? Me? Oh my gosh, he loves it. And now he has gas? <laughs> I don't know. That's crazy. He does burp every once in a while. That's hilarious. All right. <laughs> he really does sound like a baby. I remember he when does. your when your girls used to do the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so cute. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram <laughs> and Facebook at yieldcrimepodcast. You can find us on YouTube. You can also send us things in the mail. <laughs> yeah, the mail. Or to Grogu. Yeah, the mail. Grogu is re requesting things, I guess. Yeah. All your mail has belonged to me. <laughs> send it to our P.O. Box. Yield Crime Podcast. P.O. Box 341. Wyoming, Minnesota. 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast.com. Send us your questions, story ideas, promos. If you're another podcaster and you want us to share your promo on the show, we're happy to do so. Absolutely. A great way to support the show if you want to help out but can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or even leave us a rating on Spotify. The following review comes from Hepcat09 on Apple Podcasts, and they say, So cool. Five stars. What a unique true crime podcast. Truly stands out. Hooked me from the start with the asylum. Great job. Thanks. That's so nice. So they. The asylum was the first one. Dang. The very first. Episode one. That's crazy. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on our Buy Me a Coffee. You can leave a one-time donation. You can join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month and get early ad-free access to all of our content. If you'd like to rep our merch, you can also do so. You can also do so. You can also do so over at our Redbubble store. And on that note, hey. as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. <laughs>